Well, anyone who's been around Christchurch for a while knows how much we love the Schuster family. And, uh, you know, the thing that I was reminded of as I uh, watched uh, that testimony was just beautiful simplicity. And, and this beautiful simplicity of the way that they just were like, we just need to be faithful to what God's called us to. God's gifted us in some ways. We want to express those ways in the kingdom of God and the way that that played out and even highlighted some of the things like when she just said like get them to church, the mom who's at home with three kids under six who's just getting them to church when her husband's here serving is for sure a servant role that's worthy of honor and, uh, and just this beautiful simplicity around serving. And all of it really in the way that they uh, have gone about it is the spirit of what I see in so many places in our church is that all of it's to honor Jesus and uh, the one who saved them, the one who gifted them, and the one who gave them their purpose. And the topic in front of us today um, on this sixth anniversary is the topic of servant leadership. Um, last year, those of you who were with us knows that on our fifth anniversary, um, I, I said, hey, there's five things that I believe God wants us to uh, grow in more deeply in our church, to uh, both change and shape the culture of our church, and that was uh, a deepening understanding of a prayer, of praise, of the word, of outreach, and servant leadership. And so, um, this is a, a, a major investment in that move. It is really the sort of the biblical theological understanding of what it means to be a servant. Then the Servant Leadership Summit coming up on the 25th is an opportunity for us to understand specifically for me how that looks and how that plays out in the church, in my involvement in it. And so, but for today, um, get your Bibles open to uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Special message this week, um, away from our series in Acts, uh, just focusing on this subject alone. So follow along with me as I read this passage. Jesus is gathered with his disciples, verse 35, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Kind of a bold question, I mean, if we're honest. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you were asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He's pointing ahead to his suffering on the cross and the way he would be mocked leading up to that. Verse 39, and they said to him, we are able. You can all see their zeal here. We're able. We can do it. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. Now he's prophesying about their future. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, the rest of the disciples, they began to be indignant or angry at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them this, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. Let's pray before we unpack this. God, your word to us is so clear. And this encouragement is meant to resonate in the way that we think about our own identity, the way we think about our life, and the way that we live our life. And so I pray and ask that through the power of your spirit that you would bring this to bear on our lives and on our hearts as we unpack this passage, asking that you would lead us and guide us in it. God, redirect our aim and help us to be more faithful to what you've called us to with the right spirit and the right understanding. And we ask that you would do it for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So the big move is, is really pretty clear here. Jesus is saying that Uh, essential to anyone who would be a citizen of the kingdom of God is this, aim to serve. Aim to serve. Jesus has set us this example. He's elevating this to be the preeminent identity, attitude, and actions of the followers of Christ. For any person who would claim to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, claim to have their faith in Jesus Christ, that there's an identity that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ, and then that changes our thoughts and our actions, and and it's noted that it's in line with this word servant, aim to serve. And there's two truths that Jesus kind of works out in this passage, because if you see it, they come with this revelation of their heart in the question that they're asking him, and then there's this back and forth dialogue, and they're like, we're able And in that, Jesus takes their focus off one aim and redirects it another direction. And so the first truth that we see is this. Jesus is telling them, stop aiming at power. Stop aiming at power. The first part sort of exposes the wrong target. James and John have the boldness to ask him this question because they want something from Jesus. Their, Their heart is longing for something. And it's revealed in the question that they ask. Jesus invites their request because Jesus is such a great teacher and he tries, he's drawing out their heart here. It's a brilliant move that Jesus shows us in counseling or caring or interacting with people. And so they declare this and they wanted power and influence. Now now remember that at this point in the Gospels, the disciples have no clue what Jesus is headed towards. What the disciples believe is is that Jesus is going to um, establish his power. He's going to rise up and and he's going to take over the throne and that his kingdom is going to come on earth and he's going to be the ruler of it. And so they're like, he's about to have some power and we would love to sit at your right and your left. Notice that? And notice what happens when this plays out. The other disciples are like, Those two kiss-ups are talking to Jesus about being in his right and left. And they're angry. Why are they angry? They're angry because they wanted the same thing. They're like, but they got to it first. It's like the first person that asked the question might get the opportunity, and now they're angry about that. And so what we see here is Jesus' response first in verse 38. He's like, you do not know what you were asking. And then he alludes in this reference to the cup that he would hold as a reference to the cup that he would say, God, I don't want it in the Garden of Gethsemane. The baptism is is a picture of the baptism of suffering, that he would be immersed in that unto death. And he's sitting here and he's going, you don't know what you're asking. 
And of course, they respond with zeal. And then he says this in verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. They would have understood that Jesus was pointing to the Roman rule that was playing out all over the culture and the society at that point. And it was a rule that didn't say, hey, we have a compelling vision of where we want to get to, and we would love for you to, we're going to lead you there, and we're under right authority, so we're wanting you to come under that. It wasn't that sort of leadership. It was leadership that said, we have the power, come under our leadership or else. That's lording over. That's exercising authority over someone. And Jesus is pointing this out, and look what his response is to this type of leadership. But it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. Like, do you, do you, do you get and realize what Jesus is saying there? He's incredibly clear. It shall not be so among you. There should be no hint of it. Jesus is, is, is calling them right here to say, hey, that, there's a target that you're aiming at that you need to stop aiming at. You've you got to stop aiming at power. He's redirecting them. Parents are constantly telling their kids to stop aiming at the wrong target. Especially parents of young kids. A young kids, you have to redirect their aim thousands of times every day. Like the the little plastic hammer from the toy workshop becomes, um, suddenly it's, it's raised up above the head of the sibling and you have to redirect them and be like, that's not a nail, that's your brother's head. To redirect them, to redirect them, get them back on target. This is what that is for and how you use it. You have the, the little kid with the, the marker in their hand and they're inches away from the back of the tan couch and they're think, looking at it going, that's blank, and I can fill it with awesome drawings. And the parent has to be like, hold on, if you get there in time. Let me, let me redirect it over here to um, a piece of paper, and I think it's glorious what you've, what you've drawn, but let's not do it on the couch. We have to redirect. Aiming at the wrong targets, in those sort of simple illustrations, and aiming at the wrong targets in a variety of areas in our life, can cause unnecessary pain, money, and work cleaning up the mess. God is doing the same thing uh, to his children here, but the stakes are so much higher, so much higher than a bump on the head or an hour cleaning a couch. Power culture, power culture, is a cancer in our world. It, it, it tempts your flesh. It tempts all of us. It, it plays to some of our greatest weaknesses. It, it, it plays to our fallenness. And it spreads aggressively. And we see it here in the disciples. And we see Jesus counteracting it and saying, this shall not be so among you. And, and, and what it does is it, it attacks your heart and it manipulates your desires and your thinking and then it leads to so many issues in our actions. It messes with our relationships. It messes with our relationship with God and with culture and society. 
We're called here, as Jesus says so clearly, to abandon the power culture. And it's not easy because this culture is wrapped up in and around all of our thinking and actions and there's so much that tempts us in that and leads us towards that. It also plays out because your flesh craves significance and it, fi- it fights to find meaning in this life. And so often we do this unintentionally and sometimes intentionally, completely apart from God. And so we try to find this significance and this meaning and we want to control it because we, for a moment we feel good and right and we try to manipulate that in a way that would continue to give us that sense of gratification that too often, and if we're honest, seems to always be fleeting. And the culture threatens your soul. Everything in our culture aims at this target. Don't be confused. Everyone wants the throne. Everyone wants some sort of opportunity to lord it over others, and our society celebrates it. Every company, every politician, every movement, every idea, every opinion, every belief system is is wanting to gain some sort of power. Power culture also is a cancer that has infiltrated the church. It's marked by an ambition to be near the throne, just like we see here with the disciples and Jesus. And, and what, what, how you identify it is that when people start to determine their value by their role or the way they're honored, now you've got a system that's being set up and established around power. It causes people, when they're caught in this culture, it causes them to be easily angered and defensive. It causes them to be controlling and overbearing. It causes them also to be anxious and joyless and easily hurt or overly sensitive. It's dangerous for Christians, for pastors, for any Christian leader at any place. And church, what we have to do in response to what Jesus has said here is if he says, this shall not be so among you, then our response as children of of, of Christ, of God, is to say, "Um, God, I want to take a careful inventory of my life. And, And we need to start by saying and committing to the fact that we're not trying to win the majority. We're not trying to corner the market. We're not trying to manipulate with narratives. We're not trying to protect power or gain power. We are trying to win people to come underneath the leadership of the one who is all-powerful. That's our goal and our aim. The Bible is clear that the starting point to leadership or any level of influence in the kingdom of God is death. That's where it starts. It starts with death that is completely countercultural. It is so obvious that, that when Jesus is speaking this, he's speaking this into a culture that, would do this, that does the same thing then that the culture would do now and be like, seriously? That's your move? The starting point to leadership is dying. It is fundamentally seen in the fact that in salvation, we're saying that we're dead to the kingdom of darkness because we, by faith in Jesus Christ, have been 
transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. See, we don't lead by winning, we lead by dying. We lead by serving. We have to abandon the power culture, but let me assure you that it will be a process. It is so insidiously woven around our hearts and our attentions, our feelings, the way we interpret relationships, the way we strive to get this sense that we're not getting from Jesus. Um, it shall not be so among you. We, we, we can't get out from underneath this reality of what Jesus has called us to. And I want you to know that over the past year, this has been the most consistent message that I believe God has been uh, really leaning into our, the leadership here at the church, starting with me as the lead pastor. And um, God's grace is so sweet and his tenderness so evident but his conviction is deep. And we've been deeply evaluating at every level of our church how we're talking about leadership, how we're leading people, some of the things, identifying some of the patterns and things that we've done, some that have needed to be confessed, some that have needed to be realigned because we believe and take Jesus at his word here. It shall not be so among you. And, and when it is observed at any level, uh, humility demands our role as servants unto Jesus Christ as our master demands that we would humble ourselves and learn from that. And that is, that is started in so many different ways. And I, here's what I can tell you. Uh, based on what this passage tells us, it cannot stop. It shall not be so among you. And we're not done until we get to glory and made perfect, but until that time, we want to root out the ways that this can find itself in the church and in our lives and our hearts. And we're trusting God to lead us forward. And what I'm asking and what I'm calling us to on the authority of what Jesus Christ said, not on my authority, on the authority of Jesus Christ, I'm saying to the disciples of Christ that are in this room, I'm saying, would you walk with us in that? Would you evaluate your own heart and life in this? Would you evaluate where you've been aiming at power or control, trying to get something and gain it through whatever measure the world might give us, but instead recognizing that Jesus has called us to die and he wants to change our target and our aim. And so we've got to stop aiming at power. That's the first thing Jesus is so clear about in this passage. Then the second thing, he doesn't just leave us. Don't just stop aiming at power. Here's the next one. Aim to serve others. Eyes back on the passage. Jesus again, after he says, but it shall not be so among you. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus doesn't want them to be naive anymore. He doesn't want them to be left in the dark. He, he does more than just warn them about uh, this, this uh, power culture and how it can influence their heart. He calls them to aim at a new target. And what's happening here is more than just one little message in the midst of the Gospels. This message is so central 
to the identity of the citizens of the kingdom of God. Notice what James Edwards writes in his commentary on Mark. He says this, it's on the screen, follow along. The preeminent virtue or the highest, most umbrella virtue of God's kingdom is not power. And this is so important for us to realize in our day. Not even freedom, but service. The preeminence of service in the kingdom of God grows out of Jesus' teaching on love for one's neighbor, for service is love made tangible. Service is love made tangible. This virtue is an identifying mark of anyone who is a citizen of the kingdom of God. Greatness in the kingdom of God comes from serving. That's what Jesus just said. It comes through serving. If you want to be great, serve others. (coughs) This is the end goal. This is the target that we're going after. This is the target. In in the kingdom of God, the, the, the final goal of all of this is to make Christ famous. And so the, the end goal is not greatness. I'm not trying to garner greatness. The end goal is, is that we're not trying to be great because we know the one who is great. The goal is to serve because we know that when we serve, and it's a reflection of us following the example of Christ, then what happens is we recognize and come to a place of being great because we're not, we're not trying to be in the focus. We're just trying to focus people's attention on the one who is great. And there is such great relief when I'm not trying to be great. I'm not trying to be honored. I'm not trying to be recognized. People who serve in the kingdom of God are great because they serve the only one who is truly great. And what Jesus is trying to um, show to us it's seen so many other places in Scripture, is this. It's, it's almost like a little bit of a, uh, just a key encouragement for those who want to find greatness in the kingdom of God, is this. I am great when I'm acting in a way that humbles me and exalts Jesus. Guys, there is such peace when we get to the place where you're just like, I just want to serve and I want him to take the attention. I want him to be exalted. And we do that through serving others. Be a servant. It's the preeminent virtue of anyone who's a citizen of the kingdom of God. And if you still need some convincing on this subject, um, throughout the New Testament, there are these significant people that we know that play into the story of redemption and, and each one of these names that I'm about to mention either are identified as servants or they're self-identifying as servants because they understand this innately. A Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, Phoebe, Epaphras, Tychicus, James, Simon Peter, Jude, John, and most importantly, Jesus. So often do they want to remind themselves of this identity that at the beginning of some of the books of the Bible that those people wrote, they say things like, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus. Peter, a servant of Christ Jesus. 
And they say that because they understand what's being taught here in Mark 10, that Jesus is the example. If you want an illustration of what service looks to, don't bring the world's idea of what service means, which oftentimes is just using the biblical understanding of service to manipulate to my end. But instead, the way of Jesus is the way we understand service. So if we want to understand service, we need to if we want to understand the nature and the extent of service to others, of serving others, we want to get our aim just dialed in, we need to see in the model and example of Jesus Christ the nature and the extent of that service. So here, Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And then, um, uh, Philippians chapter 2, Paul does a phenomenal job of giving us more details about this, and it's up on the screens. You can follow along. Just more, more helpful encouragement around this idea of aiming to serve others. Uh, look what Paul writes. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, the mind, the right understanding of this comes through our identity in Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He wasn't going after honor. He wasn't trying to exalt himself. But, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus shows us that the nature of serving others is to serve and to give, to serve and to give to others. And to what extent is uh, empty yourself your whole life. Aim to serve others. And I just want to challenge us this morning as we consider this target that uh, God's put in front of us. Is this how you think about your life? Is it really how you think about your life? Is this the subject that, that dominates your thoughts? Is it what you're known for? Now listen, no one's perfect in this. It's a challenge for all of us. Just turn to your neighbor right now and, and just say to him, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, okay? Con confession is good. Some of us might be like, no, I got this nailed. No, and you're evidencing it's a challenge. But I don't want to leave us in a place of guilt and shame. We want to receive the conviction of God's word here. And yes, we've all fallen short of the target. But we're not stopping here, church. We, we want to embrace the encouragement, and I want us just to reason together for a little bit. How, here's the question, how do we hit the target of serving others? How does this play out in our lives? Well, first, I want to give us a kind of an overall, um, kind of big picture illustration of this is, um, I promise I will not shoot this, okay? Anybody who's nervous, you should be. Um, the, the best way to understand this is this encouragement to serve one another, is, 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 it's a target that God wants us to, to hit in our lives. He wants to produce this in us. And, and this is a picture of our life, this arrow. 
And, and there's a way we've been designed, and when aimed at the right target, we're really, we could be really effective in the kingdom of God and used by God. But the way that we do this is we lay ourselves upon the authority of God, this, this mission, this call that we have to serve others, and we lay ourselves into it by faith in Jesus Christ. This is where we've now said, this arrow, my life, is identifying with the purpose of the kingdom of God because I say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to fly in the direction of Jesus, okay? That's fundamentally what you're saying when you're saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So to, to hit the target of serving others, it's not something that I attempt to do on my own. Instead, I lay myself within the reality of the kingdom of God and I draw down upon the power of God's spirit, not my own power, but the power that God empowers me with through, the, through his majestic, powerful work in salvation, and I draw down upon that power, and then by faith and through the power of God, I'm released then, like I said, not shooting the arrow, and, and this flies in a direction that when rightly aimed at the target, we're going to find our purpose rightly. And when we draw down upon God's spirit and when we understand our identity, we can fly straight and we can hit the purpose that God has for us. We yield to God as he propels us to the target. And within this, there are three primary places where I want us to bear down upon the identity that Christ is giving us here in Mark. These three areas that I want us to think through today together. The first area is this. How do we hit the target of serving others? By yielding to God as he propels us to the target. And we need to consider this area where we want to yield to God first in your home. In your home. One of the essential characteristics of a strong marriage is a focus on serving one another. Like, every part of marriage, every part of marriage is better when this is the focus. It's particularly helpful in conflict resolution, which is needed in every marriage. How much conflict would be avoided how much disappointment if both husband and wife laid down their rights, their feelings, their expectations, and simply aimed to serve the other person? A lot. I believe that any counseling of any marriage, if I was sitting down and talking to you and you were like, ah, we're kind of struggling, the first question is, how can you aim to serve one another in what you're walking through? That's the first starting point. How can you serve the other person? So many marriages would be helped simply by both spouses just saying, how can I serve you in this that we're walking through? And then listening and trying to make a move to serve. Same thing for parents. Serve your children. Ephesians 6, 4 gives parents their primary serving assignment. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teach them, show them, train them. Serve them. If you try to power up over your child, you will exasperate them and you'll, you'll, you'll lead to the same exact, you'll provoke them, the thing that the Bible warns us against. Serve them, show them a posture and an attitude of humility. Ask them the question, how can I serve you? In your church is another area. Listen, I believe 
that um, as I've tried to carefully apply this truth to our leadership here in the church, that I don't believe that we've been as sharp as God would want us in regards to the servant leadership culture being clear in our church. And we're going to start today by changing some of the language that we use around this subject. See, it's language impacts culture. It's why we have these particular words that God gives us about certain things that we need to understand. And there is one word that we've used in the language around serving in our church that's fundamentally flawed. And it's a word that needs to be eliminated from our vocabulary in reference to what God calls us to. And the word is volunteer. Volunteer is someone who does something because they signed up on a piece of paper or raised their hand. Too often, it's just the person who gave in to guilt first. The word doesn't exist in Scripture. See, volunteering is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. You didn't volunteer to be saved. You didn't volunteer to be gifted. And you didn't volunteer to be a servant. You don't volunteer. You, you serve as a steward of what you've been given through, through the master who gave us everything. And you're a steward of what you've been given by grace. And serving is the only right response to what Christ has already done for us. For the example he set, the, the gifts that he's given us. See, serving others with your gifts are an essential part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't just fill a volunteer spot in the church. You respond to God's calling in the church and outside the church in every part of your life and you live out of this new identity and in that you fulfill your purpose in the kingdom of God. That is so much more compelling than just, I volunteer. I just want to respond to this urgent need. So we got to change this and the way we approach this in our church, there's no more anymore in our church. There's no more sign-up sheets to serve in ministries. There's going to be no more guilt trips to help out in a specific ministry. Christ deserves more and you deserve more. Way more than being satisfied with volunteering. We are calling disciples in our church to live out their calling and purpose, a purpose and a giftedness that's been miraculously given by God through the power of the Spirit in salvation. No more volunteers. Moving forward, we're going to invite you to come and be a part of serve teams and we're gonna tap your shoulder and we're gonna challenge you to serve. But in that, what we're asking is not, we're not trying to lord it over you. We're not trying to exercise authority. We're trying to draw out your giftedness. And we're gonna ask you purposeful questions. How does God want to use you? If you're walking and a part of our church, that's a question that we're gonna have for you. What's the giftedness that God's given you and how are you gonna steward that? And we're going to invite you, if there's a, a match in that, to consider serving and to prayerfully consider that. But we're not looking for volunteers anymore. We're looking for gifted servants of Jesus Christ who want to walk in their identity. We're looking for disciples who are committed to leading as servants. We're not interested in volunteers. One is shallow and worldly. The other one is deep and biblical. In the kingdom of God, we are servants, not volunteers. And this major shift in the way we talk about it is going to get 
even more deeply outlined and encouraged and developed at the Servant Leadership Summit. And so if you've been serving in our church or uh, um, in any way, we're encouraging you to be of that. If you, if you want to know more about God's purpose for your life and want that drawn out through the work of God's Spirit in a way that honors Jesus, then be there at that Servant Leadership Summit. But we're not moving off of this. This is a culture that we want to see plowed in our church at every level. So starting today, a volunteer is a cuss word in our church. We're gonna get just like a big, a big cuss jar up here and everybody's gotta put a dollar in when they say volunteer. Just kidding, we're not gonna do that. Although we could donate the money, I'm sure, to someplace. But we're gonna correct it because it's, it's not in line with what God's calling us to. It's so much less than. It's already happening around our staff. I challenge you to catch any one of us saying that word. Because it's significant that Jesus calls us to serve others. And it is an honor. And we've been gifted for it. And it is a grace. Then in your world, in your home, in the church, in your world, if you have a job, if you're, if you're going to go into school, a school this week as a student, like I know so many of you are, what if you walked in the doors of your school or your job and the primary aim that you had was to serve others. What if your identity and your soul and your heart was so satisfied in your relationship with Jesus Christ, so secure in his love, that your entire aim was to serve others? You want to know what you do? You would see suffering more quickly. You would see the darkness. You would see the pain and you would see the need. And you would see the opportunity. An opportunity to bring light into darkness. An opportunity to alleviate suffering even for a moment. An opportunity to... to, to Give a simple act of kindness, a word of encouragement to tell someone about the love of Christ, about the gospel, to ask someone how you could pray for them, pointing to the one you know is all-powerful. Any other act of service, aim to serve others. Aim to serve. Stop aiming at power and aim to serve others. And we will only live this out consistently and powerfully in our life if we understand that it starts with our identity. This on the screen, we've used it many times in our church. Uh, God always wants to transform the heart before he transforms the action. So if you're like, man, I, I want this. I want to walk in this. I want to live this out. We don't do it by going, I just want to serve more. We don't do it by thinking about that only what we do and where the change starts is in our heart by saying, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And Jesus says here in this passage, he says, 
For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if we are people who identify with Jesus Christ, if he's the one that we live for, if he's the model for living, then our identity is caught up in his. It's a union that we have with Christ. And so I don't think about me anymore. I'm thinking about Jesus. And in that, I recognize I'm a servant. And so living out of that identity, then the reality is, as I start thinking differently, how can I serve? And that becomes the dominant thoughts that guide our life. How have I been gifted to help in this way? How can I step into that? There's a move, a readiness for that. There's a thinking about it. And then what comes from a right heart and right thoughts is right actions. And now what am I doing? I'm engaging in service. I'm looking for this because it's part of my identity. Identity as a servant deepens when we recognize our identity with Christ and by faith we yield to Christ. His model, his example, his ways. And so we're transformed by this. This is how this plays out in our life. This is how we aim to serve. And now we're in the service. We, we want to we go to communion because communion is the place where we remember how Christ gave his life for us. We remember how Christ served us. We remember how he gave his life as a ransom for many. He did what we could not do. He served us first in his death on the cross. And so as the elements are passed in just a few moments, I want you to um, do not take communion if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. This identity that happens in communion is for those who put their faith in Christ. But if you are a follower of Christ, then take the elements. There's two little cups stacked up as it gets passed and take them and hold on to them together. And as you hold on to them and as communion is served and as the song is sung, what I want you to consider is I want you to consider, God, where has my aim been on power? Where have I, I been aiming in the wrong direction? And repent of that. Say, God, I don't want this to be among me. I don't want this to be a part of the way I think and my life. I want to aim to serve others. And to ask him to prepare your heart for this and in taking communion, we're aligning ourselves again with the example of Christ. And so let's do that and let's pray and seek him as we prepare to take communion and then we'll take it together in a few moments. Let's do that now.